Today, we're going to look at a father's heart. Now, I'm, I'm crazy, but I know it's not Father's Day, okay? But we're going to look at a father's heart from Genesis chapter 21 as we look at the heart of Father Abraham. Now, I'm proud to be a father today. Our journey began in April 1982. I'll never forget, I was standing outside the, the, the door there, the offices at St. Vincent's Hospital or St. Vincent's Complex there. Teresa had gone in for a doctor's appointment. And when she came out, I could tell by the tears and by the glow that she had good news. We were going to be parents. She was expecting our first child. And we hugged there in the parking lot at St. Vincent's Hospital, and we cried tears of joy. About 18 months later, we were crying again. <laughs> this time, it was not tears of joy. It was just tears. In the meantime, January the 1st, 1983, halftime of the Rose Bowl. Lady, if you, ladies, if you want to be nice to your husband, wait till halftime to have a baby. Uh, halftime of the Rose Bowl, KJ was born. And then nine months later, we found out that Katie was coming. So we, we got to be parents kind of 18 months apart, and, and it was wonderful. But I, I share that because I want you to know of the, the blessing and the struggle of parenthood. And if you're a parent today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, there's nothing better, there's nothing more blessed than being a parent and there's probably nothing that breaks your heart more and can cause more stress or distress in your heart than to be a parent. So that's where we are this morning in Genesis chapter 21. Abraham and Sarah begin their adventure of parenting in chapter 21. Let me, let me give you a quick timeline just to kind of bring everything into focus. When Abraham was 75 years old, God spoke to him. He was living in a foreign country, the Ur of the, Chalde Ur of the Chaldeans, and he left there. God said, I'm going to make you, Abraham, a great nation. At 75 years old, he was married but had no children, and so he left Ur. He went to the promised land. Ten years later, at age 85, Sarah comes in one day and says, you're going to be the father of a great nation? You better get going, buddy. So she offers up to Abraham, her servant, her maid, Hagar. And so at age 86, Abraham becomes a father, but not by Sarah. Sarah is still barren, but Hagar, the maidservant, has a boy named Ishmael at age 86. Thirteen years later, Abraham's 99. Three men come to visit Abraham, and they tell him that within the year, you will have a son, and Sarah will be the mother of this child. This child is to be the promised child. Ishmael, Abraham in chapter 17 begs for Ishmael. What about Ishmael? And God says, no, he is not the promised child. But you will have a child. One year from now, you will have a child by your wife, Sarah, and he will be the promised child. So here we are. This is the good part. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that your promises are true. We thank you, Father, that you are the God of the miraculous. We thank you, God, that your power is demonstrated in unusual ways. But God, we thank you most of all for your faithfulness to your people. God, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that we may see wonderful things from your word. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, I hope that you can see the theme of joy. Joy, there's a lot of laughter in these first eight verses. There's a lot of laughter going on here in this passage. Isaac, his name means laughter. And he is the one who is the promised son. He is the one that God had told Abraham 25 years earlier that you're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Now, we know 10 years later, they became a little anxious. And so Abraham had a son, but it wasn't by Sarah. It was by Hagar, and his name was Ishmael. And so Abraham now has two sons, two sons. Pastor Colby read for us from Galatians 4.23. And this is kind of going to be our, our theme this morning, okay? But the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, the one born to Abraham at age 86, was born according to the flesh. And of the free woman, Isaac, was born through the promise. Two sons, one from the flesh, one from the, from the promise. One from the flesh, one from the spirit, okay? So that's kind of the theme of our study. Now, Paul interprets this for us in Galatians chapter 4. And I want us to understand that because this chapter, hear me now, this chapter is one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. It lays the foundation of the nature of God, the promises of God, the work of God, the people of God. So this is a foundational chapter for us from Genesis chapter 21. And we know that Paul interprets it for us in Galatians 4. So I want us to do two things this morning. And I hope you got your Bible. I want us to see what the text says, what the story says, because it's filled with wonderful truth as we unpack that this morning. But also, I want us to see with our spiritual eyes the greater meaning of Genesis chapter 1 as interpreted through the New Testament, okay? So we want to look back from a New Testament perspective and see the wonder of chapter 21. But let's begin, first of all, with the blessing of God's fulfilled promise. As I said, this is a joyous time. Isaac, his name means laughter. Now, where did he get that name from? You remember? Whenever Abraham heard that he was going to be a father, he laughed, kind of shocked. <laughs> he laughed. When Sarah heard that she was going to be a mom, she laughed in unbelief. Remember that? Now, there's laughter, but it's not a laugh of shock. It's not a laugh of unbelief. It's a laugh of joy. The laugh of joy. Sarah is holding a little precious baby boy, the son of the promise. Abraham's beloved bride, Sarah, is now a mama. And life could not be better. 
They are so happy. Now look at verse 6. Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Parents, let me tell you, I just want to encourage you. Your children ought to be a source of joy. Your children ought to be a source of joy. And I know I'm a parent. I know that's not always the case. But children are a gift of the Lord. Children are a gift of the Lord. Isaac was a gift to Abraham and Sarah. Your child is a gift. And let me say this. I think laughter ought to be a common occurrence in your home. I mean, we tried to make it fun growing up at our house. I mean, we had a good time. Because I think that's the way we honor the Lord in our home. Our children ought to know that home is a happy place, a place where we can laugh. Let me tell you a secret, too. Church ought to be that way. There ought to be a lot of laughter at church. I heard Bailey Smith years ago talk about signs of a healthy church. He said one of them is that people linger after the service. We got that covered. Because we have to turn the lights out on some of you guys before we can go. But they linger after the service. That's a sign of a healthy church. Another sign is that a church will laugh. They'll laugh together. Laughter is important. Laughter was a gift of God as through uh, to Abraham and Sarah, through their son Isaac. Laughter ought to be a uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, often used humor in his pulpit. And once a woman, believe it or not, got upset with him for telling a funny story. <laughs> she got mad because he, he told a joke. And this is what Spurgeon said, Madam, if you had known how many other stories I kept back, you would not have found fault with that one, but you would have commended me for the rest I've exercised. <laughs> I can say that. There's a lot of things that go through here that get filtered out. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of funny things that I want to say and I don't, but I think we ought to be able to laugh together. Sarah was laughing. Sarah laughed and Abraham beamed with joy, with pride and joy. And he had a beautiful baby boy born to his beloved bride, Sarah. Abraham rejoiced because in this child, he saw several things. Number one, he saw that God's promises are sure. God's promises are sure. Look at verse one. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said. If you like to underline in your Bible, underline that. Those four words, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. As he had promised. Verse 2, so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Now church, it's been 25 years. 25 years. Abraham got anxious at age 86. He and Sarah plotted together to kind of speed up God's plan. But God spoke to him 25 years ago. Now he sees in his wife's arms the fulfillment of God's word. I want to remind you this morning that God's promises are sure. God's promises are sure. Abraham had not waited in perfect obedience. We know that. We see sin in his life. We saw the instance with Hagar. We see in, in Genesis chapter 20 his uh, situation there with the Philistine king Abimelech. We know that Abraham was not perfect. The promise of a son was not fulfilled because Abraham was perfect in his obedience. He wasn't. The promise was fulfilled because God was faithful to his word. 
God is faithful to his word. Say that with me. God is faithful to his word. As he had said, as he had spoken, as he had promised. We can't miss that in verses 1 and 2. God is faithful to his promises. I want you to know, church, that most of our struggles come when we begin to doubt God's word. Remember, we talked about that last week in Genesis 20. Abraham had this great fear. It was a fear for his own safety. He was afraid that God could not take care of him. Do you know that every fear in our life is when we begin to get, doubt God's protective power in our life. We begin to doubt God's protection, and we become afraid. There are some here, folks here today. Uh, I know it was one of the great preachers, may have been Stodd or may have been Spurgeon, one of those guys who said, you know, I never knew that grief felt so much like fear. I never knew that grief felt so much like fear, but it's a real emotion. I want you to know God's got you. God's protection is there. God is faithful to his word. We don't have to fear uncertainty. But most of our fear comes when we begin to doubt God's word. Listen to this. Our sin comes into our life. Most sin comes when we begin to doubt God's provision. I can do this better than God can do Hey, I'm going to go out and have a good time. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do it my way rather than God's way because God's way doesn't make a lot of sense today. God's way is kind of cold and drab. God's way is kind of, that's boring. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to seek a mate. I'm going to seek pleasure. I'm going to seek life. I'm going to seek a good time and do it my way. And we doubt God's provision. As a result, we try to satisfy God-given desires in ungodly ways. And nine times out of eight, that's going to create problems. That's just about every time. Nine times out of eight. Got me? We have fear when we doubt God's protection. We sin when we doubt God's provision. God's word, God's promises are sure. Abraham saw that. Abraham saw that. Secondly, through Isaac, through this little baby, God's power is demonstrated. Isaac's birth was nothing short of miraculous. Look at verse 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Look at verse 2. Abraham bore a son in his old age. Look at verse 7. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Don't you like to be reminded how old you are <laughs> all the time? Big day, you're getting old. That's what I hear from my grandkids. All You're old. You're old. Makes you feel good. Well, Abraham, couldn't, he couldn't get around this age thing right here. Three times in seven verses, God says, you're old. Why? Because this baby was not a result of flesh. This baby was not a result of Abraham and Sarah's efforts. This baby was a promised baby given to them by God himself. And God did not want there to be any shadow of doubt about Isaac's birth. Do you understand that? Isaac was a miraculous child. Now, just again, looking around the room, I know there's some people in this room who've got some children, had children, miraculous ways. God gave them. I mean, the doctor said it's impossible, but yet they're parents today. God is a God of miracles. God demonstrates his power. God loves to put his power on display. 
God, they rejoiced because God had done the impossible on their behalf. They were 100 years old, 90 years old, respectively. They were past the age of childbearing. And so it was not a result of their human efforts. Let me tell you, church, there's some things, miraculous things that happen in our life that are not the result of human effort. And God wants to make that very clear because he is jealous of his glory. Don't you know you're saved today, you're a Christian today, if you are a Christian, not because of your efforts. It's the grace of God. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his, what? Mercy, that he has saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not as a result of works, lest any man should what? Boast. God said there's no boasting when it comes to salvation because it's not of man. We're born not of the will of man, but of the Spirit of God. It's miraculous. I kind of shudder sometimes or or cringe when people say, I don't have a testimony. I don't have a testimony. Hey, if you're a believer, you're a miracle. If you're a believer, you have a testimony. You're a walking miracle. You were dead in sin. Now you've been born in life to Christ, with Christ. Isaac was a great example of God's power being displayed. Isaac was in third, is a great example of God's timing being perfect. Look at that in verse four, excuse me, verse two. At the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. At the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. You know, I know some people who are rarely on time. Thankfully, my wife is not one of those. You know, the Lord teaches us patience through people who are late. I have two pet peeves. I hate to be late. I hate to lose something. That's a story for another day. But anyway, God is never late. Do you know that? God is never early either. His timing is perfect. What if Isaac had been born 25 years earlier? Abraham and Sarah could have boasted. We had a child the natural way. But when they're 90 and 100 years old, it's a miracle. God's timing is perfect. I've learned this a long time ago, and I'm going to say it again. God's delays are for God's glory. God's delays are for God's glory. Now, Abraham and Sarah both got anxious at age 86 for Abraham. Sarah came in one day and said, son, if you're going to be or Abraham, Lord, she called him Lord. Peter said, Lord, if you're going to be a father, you better get started. So at age 86, they tried to speed up the process by giving Hagar to Abraham, this was a mistake. This was a mistake because it was not God's timing. Ishmael was not God's promised son. It was not God's timing for Abraham to be a father at that time. And we'll see the consequences of that in just a minute. Have you ever gotten anxious and tried to get ahead of God's timing in your own life? Have you ever tried to force the issue or do something that you felt like, you know, I I just can't wait any longer. I can't wait any longer. When's this going to happen? God's timing is perfect. Of course, the greatest example of God's timing is Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, when the fullness of time came. And you talk about a promise fulfilled. 
the promised Messiah. Talk about the power of God demonstrated through Jesus. The gospel is a reminder to us, wherever we are, that God has not abandoned us, that God's plans are perfect, God's promises are sure, and God's timing is perfect. The gospel reminds us this morning, wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, is that God has not abandoned you. At the proper time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And finally, we see in Isaac, we see in Isaac that God's glory is revealed. God's glory is revealed in a little baby? In a little child? How could God's glory be revealed? But here's the secret. God had promised Abraham 25 years earlier that he was going to be the father of many nations. He was going to be the father of many nations. God was going to produce through Abraham a nation, a people for himself. A nation, a people for himself. Now in Genesis chapter 21, this promise is fulfilled. When Abraham was 75, God made a promise to him. When Abraham's 100, God fulfilled that promise. The promise is that through Isaac, a nation would arise. A nation who would be a distinct people of God. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. A people for God's own possession. We see this in verse 4. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Why did Abraham circumcise Isaac? Because that was the sign of the covenant. That was the sign that would set the nation of Israel apart from all other surrounding nations. This was a sign that God had a people through this little boy Isaac a nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession was going to be put into place through one little baby. Through one little baby. God's glory was going to be revealed as God would distinguish himself through his people. And so God gave him the covenant of circumcision, and then years later he gave him the covenant, the covenant of the law. And what did that do? That says that we are the people of God. We don't act like you guys. We live differently. We're set apart by this law because our God is a great God. The purpose of the law was to, to distinguish God's people from all the other nations. Now you fast forward several centuries. God said, I'm going to set my people apart. I'm going to write the law in their heart. I'm going to give them my spirit. I'm going to have a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession, but I'm going to dwell in their heart. I'm going to live inside of them. They're going to be my people, and I'll be their God. Church, that's who we are today. We're a people for the glory of God. Ephesians 3.10 says now that the manifold wisdom of God is being revealed to the world through the church. As the, church, as the world looks at the church, they're supposed to see God, the wisdom of God. And the love of God, the righteousness of God, because we're God's people. We're a distinct people. But here's the great thing. We're set apart because God lives in us. That makes us a distinct people. 
Paul told the church at Corinth, do you not know that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you and the temple of God is holy and that is what you are, a holy people. Now that should both be encouraging and convicting, shouldn't it? It's encouraging to think that God would dwell in us, but it's convicting to think I'm supposed to be a holy representation of God. That's who Isaac was. God's glory was revealed through Isaac because he became the father of a great nation, a great people, a nation that would one day produce the Messiah through his lineage. We see the blessedness of fulfilled promises, the blessedness of fatherhood. Quickly, let's look at, continue in verse 9. Here we'll see the struggle, the distress of fatherhood. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Verse 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. What do we see? We see the joy of having a newborn baby. Now we see the distress of having to deal with a son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendant shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to just tell you they got in distress there in the desert. God appeals to, uh, appears, give, gives them a, uh, a, a well to drink there. He settles down. Look at verse 21. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And we see him again in uh, Ishmael in chapter 25 when Abraham dies, and he returns to bury his father. But what we see here in verses 9 through 14, <clears throat> I remind you what Paul said. The son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. Thirteen years earlier, Abraham and Sarah had conspired together along with Hagar to try to get this plan in motion. Ishmael was the result of their own efforts. He's reborn in the flesh, as Paul says. This decision from 13 years earlier had tremendous impact. It had tremendous impact not only on Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, but it had an impact on a lot of people for many years to come. I want to just look quickly at a couple of things that we learned from decisions in the past. Decisions made in the past often create conflict in the present. What's going on? Ishmael began to mock little Isaac. There was conflict in the home. The conflict seems to be over the inheritance. Sarah didn't want Ishmael to have Isaac's inheritance. You can understand that. There was conflict. I don't want this little boy, this 13-year-old boy born to my servant to have equal footing or equal inheritance with my son. So there was conflict between the boys there was conflict between Sarah and Abraham. Something had to be done. It's interesting. Back in Genesis chapter 16, 
You don't have to turn there, but listen, let me just tell you. When Hagar found out that she was going to have a son, you know what the angel of the Lord told her? That your son will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. So should we be surprised that there was conflict as a result of Ishmael? It's kind of a promise thing. This is going to follow you wherever you go. He's going to cause trouble. In Genesis chapter 25, we mentioned that earlier, but it tells us about the descendants of Ishmael. Verse 18 says that he settled in defiance of all his relatives. Genesis 25, 18. Ishmael settled in defiance of all his relatives. We see here in chapter 21, uh, verse, 20, verse 21, that Hagar took a wife for Ishmael from Egypt. And we know in Deuteronomy 7, later on, God would forbid the marriage of foreign wives. So Ishmael was a child born in conflict. Ishmael was a son who stirred up conflict everywhere he went. And now Abraham's having to deal with that. Let me ask you, have you ever made decisions in the past that caused present conflict? (laughs) That's why Paul says that Ishmael was the son of the flesh. The son of the flesh. Now, there are two things about the flesh we need to understand this morning. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it can talk about sinful desires. And some of us have made some silly mistakes in the past. In the flesh, we have done things that continue to impact our life, continue to create conflict in our life. We're still paying the consequences for mistakes Abraham was that he made 13 years ago. The flesh creates conflicts because we're we're trying to fulfill sinful desires. But also the Bible says in terms of the flesh that the flesh can be a means of self-righteousness where we're trying to justify ourselves in our own efforts through our own good works. We can suit up and show up with the best of them. And we put on this air. We got it all together. We're self-righteous and we're proud. That is the flesh. Galatians is all about that. The Judaizers who said you have to believe in Christ plus keep the law. And that's legalism. And so when Paul talks about the flesh, we're talking about sinful pleasures, yes, but we're also talking about self-righteousness. That's the attitude Paul talked about in Galatians 4.31. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Free from what? Legalism. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Yes, we're not to be legalistic, but we're not to use our freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh to sin and just say, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. So you see the conflict here? It's a constant conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Between the flesh and the spirit. That's a battle. That's a conflict that happens in the heart of every believer. I heard the story of a man who said he had two dogs he used to fight. A big old red mangy dog and a big old black mangy dog. And he said, the neighbor came by one day and said, those dogs fight all the time. Which one wins? He said, which one... The one I feed the most always wins. The one I feed the most always wins. And the same thing is true with the battle with the flesh and the spirit. There's conflict as a result, and the one you feed the most always wins. 
Some of us are having conflict today because we've been walking in the flesh, dealing with the past. Making past mistakes can present conflict for the future, for the present. Number two, dealing with the past is often painful and costly. This greatly distressed Abraham. I want you to see that, verse 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Why? Because Abraham loved Ishmael. He'd been his only son for 13 years. Now he had to, to let him go. Don't you know, Ishmael had a right to grow up in Abraham's home. But Sarah was bothered. She was jealous for her son Isaac. Should that be enough to kick a, a young woman and her son to the curb? God said, yeah. Yes, Abraham, listen to your wife. See, Ishmael was not the promised child. He was not the one that God would use to start the nation of Israel. You know, when I read this, probably like many of you, I said, that's not fair. It almost seems unfair from our perspective that a young mother and a 13-year-old would be kicked out of the house. But church, God is sovereign. That was not his plan. And it also seems almost you know, hard and callous to think that Abraham's problem was a child. That Abraham's problem was a 13-year-old child. But you know, we make decisions in life, don't we? And Abraham had a child. Abraham had a son named Ishmael. But this was not God's plan. But I want you to see the grace of God through this. What did God say? I'm going to bless your child. He's going to become a great nation. I'm going to be with your son. But he's not the chosen one. We see God's grace in spite of our sin. But Abraham had to let this son go. He had to let this son go. Someone had said before Abraham could offer Isaac on the altar, he had to sacrifice Ishmael. And as Isaac was being weaned from his mother's milk, here we see in chapter 21, Abraham was being weaned from his oldest son. For many of us, it's really hard to let things go from our past. A.W. Tozier says in a prayer, Please, Lord, root from my heart all those things that I've cherished so long, which have become a very part of my living self, so that you may enter and dwell there without rival. He goes on to say, The ancient curse will not go out painlessly. The old nature within us will not lie down and die in obedience to our command. It must be torn out from our heart like a weed. Look at that. It must be torn out from our heart like a weed in the soil. It must be extracted in agony and blood like a tooth from the jaw. What are we talking about? Old habits. Old relationships. Things that we want to cherish from the past that continue to pull us down spiritually. Church, it's not easy to let those things go. It's not easy to cast out the bondwoman, as Paul said in Galatians 4. Never has been, never will be. But it can be done by God's grace, as we'll see in just a minute. Abraham was greatly distressed to let Ishmael go. It was a painful experience. Is there something in your life that you've been holding on to that God needs to tear out, that you need to let go and give it to the Lord? 
to close that chapter on your life, to close the door? Is there something that, that keeps keeping its roots in your heart and mind, that keeps pulling you down, but you know it's not of the Lord? By God's grace, John said in 1 John that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. It's only by the blood of Christ that we can find freedom from our past. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Why? Because we've been born again. We're a new creature in Christ. Quickly, deeds from the past often continue to cause problems. When we fail to deal with them, deeds from the past often continue to cause problems. Again, there are many people today who believe that the Arab nations that we have today, the Arabs that are in constant conflict with, with the Jews, are the descendants of Ishmael. There are many people who believe that. What we have is continuous conflict, conflict, conflict. God said in Genesis chapter 17 or 16 that your hand will be against people and people's hand will be against you. There will be continuous conflict. Church, that's the nature of the flesh. That's the nature of the flesh. We will never have absolute freedom as long as we're in this body. It's just not going to happen. But here's the key. Paul said in Romans 8, if by the Spirit, remember the Spirit dwells in us? If by the Spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So how do we deal with our past? We come to grips with the fact that we've committed sin, that our sin is rebellion against God. We confess our sin. We look to the one who died for our sin, who offers us forgiveness in Christ. We place our faith and trust in him. As we do that, we are set apart by his spirit. We become a child of God. And then as we walk in the spirit, we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. Now the flesh continues to raise its ugly head, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We can live for Christ as we walk in the Spirit and not walk in the flesh. It's through Christ that we've been set free. It's through Christ that we have freedom. It's through Christ that we have the blessedness of God. Will we experience the distress and struggles of life? Certainly. But through Christ, we have ultimate victory. As we close, let me ask you this morning. Is there something from your past that you're dealing with, you've, or maybe you've never totally dealt with? Bring it to Christ. Bring it to the altar. Confess it before the Lord, and you can find true freedom this morning. You can find freedom in the gospel that Christ sets us free from our past.